We've been uh, discussing the book of Genesis and going through the chapters there and verses there. And, and uh, when we started out, I didn't know how far we were going to go or how much was going to be in there and, and all that was going to take place. And just within the first three chapters, we haven't even got out of the first three chapters yet. Um, there is so much, and there's still so much more that we're going to see. Um, and so the more I've been studying it, the more another sermon adds on and adds on and adds on. And I've come to uh, the conclusion that basically every important thing that's in the Bible is there in the first three chapters of Genesis. And not only uh, the things that are important in the Bible, but things that are important to everyone. The most important things, even people who don't believe in the Bible would say, if you ask them what's an important thing to you in life and, and for humanity, and they would list several of the things off this list. So here's a little bit of the list of just Genesis 1 through 3. Divinity, who is God, right? So even people who don't believe in God, is there a God? And if there is, who is he and what does he look like? And really, there are very few, if any, real atheists, right? We all have some God of some sort. And as the, uh, the anthropologists look down through the ages and cultures, they see that every culture has worshiped something or another. And so who is God is a, a corporate question. And then origins, what is our origin corporately as humanity? Where did we come from? What is our origin? And again, even people who don't believe in God want to know their origin and they go looking, you know, uh, evolution and try and come up with theory after theory after theory on that just to find out, well, what is the origin? And, and then the whole DNA thing, what is my origin? What is my, who am I? And, you know, do I have some Eskimo in me or, you know, you know and so trying to find some, you know, exotic species there or something like that. And so people want to know what their origins are. And so who am I, right? What am I? So individual origins, well, all right there in Genesis 1 through 3. And then purpose. What is our purpose? What is our reason for being? Why are we alive individually and corporately? What is the purpose of humanity? What is my purpose in life? You know, going through high school or what am I going to be? When I, people ask a little kid, what are you going to be when you grow up? What's your purpose in life? Right? What are you going to do? We want to know that. And restoration, how can I be restored? And uh, spiritually, salvation is right here in the first three chapters, and a recreation. But even in a worldly sense, they want to be restored every new year, right? They rejoice, oh, a new year is coming. We're going to have a new chance, a new change. A new thing is going to happen. You know, and how can we restore? How can I get my job back? Or how can I reconcile this relationship, right? So how are things restored? And destiny. Well, where are we going? Right, what's the end game? Is there a forever? What happens when we die? And again, every culture's got a theory on that. You got the pyramids, right? And you got the reincarnations. And so what is our eternal destiny? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, it's right here in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And loyalty. Test of loyalty, the test of love. And why is there suffering? Why do we suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why did that bad thing happen to me? <laughs> right? Why is there suffering? We want to know that. It's right here in the first three chapters. And then rest. Again, spiritually, we looked at Shabbat, the Sabbath, you know, when it is and, and, uh, and how to keep Shabbat and, and how, what does it say for last day events? Where is it prophetically? But also in the world, they want to know, when do I get a break? When is my vacation? How many vacation days do I get a year? Right? How many breaks do I get in a day? When do I get to pick a rest? You know? We want to know when we can vacation and rest. And then thriving. How can we do better? How can we thrive in life? How can I, what should we eat? How should we live? Right? That's why they have this diet and that diet and this exercise and that exercise and this exercise equipment and always selling something new and different because people want to know. Unfortunately, they're mostly lied to. <laughs> but the Bible tells us the truth. Who do we marry? How do we stay married? How do we have a happy marriage? How do we delight in that marriage? How do we delight in God's rest and God's Shabbat? How do we delight in life? How do we live life to the fullest? 
all of these topics. And again, I think that covers basically every important thing in the Bible. It's from Genesis to Revelation. That's what it's all about. These various topics are all throughout the scriptures. And they're all right here in the very first. And if we don't get them right in the very first three chapters, we won't understand them in the rest. And so God laid the foundation strongly and securely. And so, so often we just quickly run over those. I mean, we're doing the parasha. We cover these three chapters plus the, all the way to chapter six. Like 2,000 years of history all in one week. And yet there's so much, right, in the very first three chapters for us to learn from the, from the foundation of scriptures and the foundation for our lives. So we'll be covering those, some of these things. So this week we'll be covering uh, from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, mankind, what is our original purpose? Right? So what is our purpose? What is your purpose? What is my purpose in life? And I remember the young college student wondering that very question. I did not know God and at that point. And uh, I mean, I'd known him when I was younger a little bit, learned about him anyway. And uh, at this point in my life, I didn't believe in him, basically an atheist, and uh, was studying forestry and taking a lot of biology-type classes and, and uh, humanistic classes on ecology and evolution and all kinds of things. And so I'm wondering, well, what is our purpose? What is my purpose? What is the purpose of humanity? And so looking at everything around me, right? So all the animals and all the bugs and all the trees and all the fishes and birds and everything, well, what is their purpose? And maybe that'll help me to know what my purpose is. And so I looked at all of those things, and all of those things really have two purposes. To eat and reproduce. And I said, okay, <laughs> so that's what I'll do. Right? And I figured, well, that's the destiny, that's the purpose in life, and try and do as much of that as possible. And really, you know, that is basically what in the world is done, right? That is what Hollywood and restaurants and, you know, everything else that's promoted and advertised uh, that's really what people think, whether they logically think that through or not. That is the essence of a life without God. And it's pretty meaningless and pretty empty. And like Solomon wrote, vanity, vanity, vanity. But God tells us what our purpose is right here in these first two chapters of the Bible. And so... Let's take a look, and often we'll look at those portions and many other texts in the Bible, but today there's just so much, right, in just the first two chapters. I don't even think we have a text that even needs to go any further to find out what our original purpose was. And when we know what our original purpose is, and then we can, by God's grace, begin to have that as a goal and to start going back to that plan that he laid out for us. So in... Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we've looked at this text several times, and we're going to look at it some more uh, in future weeks. Uh, but there's the us and our and our likeness, right? So this plurality, we looked at that. And, uh, and then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I guess already I was wrong. So we did look at another text outside of Genesis chapter 2, but, uh, but uh, that didn't take long but <laughs> for me to be wrong. But uh, it's basically paralleling right there in Genesis chapter 2 where God's talking about the Sabbath. Right? And so he rested and he rested on that day and he calls us to rest with him. So our number one purpose is to be one with God, to enter into communion with God, to become recreated back into his image. That was his divine original purpose. He created Adam and Eve in his image. And that's again where he's wanting us to come back to, it's not where we are now, but that's what he's calling us to come back to, um, back to him, to be drawn back to him, to enter into rest with him. That's why he gave us the Shabbat. That's why he gave Adam and Eve the Shabbat, to spend time with him, their first full day of life, to enter into rest with him. And so God calls us to be one with him, to unite with him, and to know him, and to experience him 
and to reflect his glory, be one with God. Chapter 2, verse, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. In verse 24, a man shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so the next purpose is to be one with others, to be one with each other. Right, so the oneness in a marriage relationship, but also one in families, one in corporate congregational families, one with humanity. That God has called us to be one. God made humans as herd animals. We're herders. Right? We like to be together. Right? We don't like to be alone. We're not loners. Right? We're not lone wolves. Right? God created us to be around other people. And that's why Satan tries to keep that from happening. That's why Satan tries to separate us and isolate us, because he knows it mentally... Uh, destroys us and so God's called us to come and commune with others and so love God and love your neighbor as yourself right so that's what he's called us to and we uh, can only experience that love for others and to become one with others as we first unite with God and become one with him and then when we're filled with his love it overflows from us to others and God is able to give us that unconditional love towards others and then to become one with them especially if they are united in faith with us and they're one with God and we're one with God we can become one together but even with those who don't know God God has called us to become one with them in humanity in corporate humanity in uh, in being uh, able to uh, understand and grieve with those that are grieving and sorrow with those that are sorrowing and enter into uh, communion with them to be able to comfort them and, and console them and help them and uplift them and rejoice with those that are rejoicing as well to become all things to all people that we might win some as Paul said even to those that are under the law to become as one under the law that we might win them for the Lord in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so when it's talking about dominion there, it's not talking about a computer program. It's talking about, uh, nor is this God's ideal of dominion either, right? <laughs> I see that taking place. I think, man, somebody, something's got someone backwards there, right? You know, it's just so amazing to see humans picking up dog poop. I mean, it's just, uh, just absolutely amazing. I mean, I guess that's better than leaving the dog poop there for someone to step in, but uh, I think it's the first time in all of humanity, you know, in 6,000 years of Earth's history, that, uh, that human beings go around following an animal with a plastic bag. Uh, it's just. Uh, <laughs> Dogs must think we're God or something like that. You know, that this is our job, or, or, you know, that, or they're God, right? That uh, we, we're serving them. Um, but pretty, pretty amazing thing. But that's not what it means to have dominion over the earth. Uh, that's not an example. Nor is this to being, having dominion over the earth either. Right? Uh, God, the Bible says that God will destroy those that destroy the earth. And it will be a, uh, we will be held accountable for how we interact. And so there's dominion, it means to manage, right? To, we're, we're the ones that are the uh, boss over them under God, and thus we will be held accountable for how they're doing, for how the earth is doing, for how nature is doing. And so God has called us to be one with nature and to manage it, for him and there's so many things that we can do better individually and corporately to uh, to make this earth a better place and stop abusing it the way we are it doesn't mean we have to become a tree hugger or anything you know it's good to love trees <laughs> but uh, we need to have a balance we need to live but to live in harmony God's purpose. And in heaven, we will live in harmony with all of his creation. And he wants us to begin that process now more and more so. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whether Adam called each living creature, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. Right, so Adam named them all. And so I've been working on a little song. I've titled it, God Gave Name to All the Animals. And uh, I'd like your help with it. And so uh, it goes like this. God gave names to all the animals. Isn't that nice? Right, a little catchy there, right? Okay, so now I need you, your help to fill in all the rest of the verses with what names God has given to the animals. Okay, it's, uh, some are easy, but some are not so easy. Let's see how we do. Adam saw a big fish with a huge tail, so he called it a... Whale. Good job. All right, a whale. Oops. All right. Adam saw an animal with a lot of hair. It was too big to be called a hare, so he called it a bear. All right, so we got a bear. Friendly bear. Adam saw an animal that had wings. It looked like a rat, so he called it a bat. All right, yes, we got Batman there, bat. Adam saw an animal catch a rat, so he called it a cat, right? A grumpy cat. <laughs> Ugly creatures, aren't they? <laughs> Adam saw a yellow, and people pick up their poop too. They just do it in private, right? They do that in the house. And they do think they're God. <laughs> Adam saw a yellow and black flying bug drinking tea, so he called it a bee. Yes, a bumblebee. Yes, a bee. Adam saw a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, so he called it a wasp. A wasp, exactly. That's, right. that's a wasp. That's right. So that's where they came from. Adam saw a dog that had curly hair like a noodle, so he called it a, a poodle, right, a poodle. And now they got all kinds of poodles, right? They got schnoodle and doodle and all these other kinds of things, right? Labadoodle, four doodles, four noodles, or poodles, whatever. Adam saw a red animal hiding in a box, so he called it a fox, a fox, fox with socks and box, right? Fox, socks on fox in a box, that's how it goes. Fox in a box with socks. Adam saw a small animal sneak into his house, so he called it a, a mouse, that's right, and that's why that's why you need a cat, right? <laughs> Isn't he cute? When you like one of them in your house, right? <laughs> or a bunch? <laughs> no. Adam saw a sly animal smoking peyote. So he called it a coyote. <laughs> you guys are good. You guys, you guys are songwriters here. Adam saw a colorful bird eating a carrot, so he called it a parrot. Ah, yes, a parrot. Carrot-eating parrot. Adam saw some bugs singing Hey Jude, so he called them the Beatles. The Beatles, right, that's right, yes. <laughs> That was a little harder one, right? I had to think that one through. Okay. Adam saw some other animals singing, but they were out of key, so he called them the... Someone say what? The monkeys, that's right. <laughs> hey, hey, we're the monkeys. 
Adam saw a green reptile squeeze under a log, so he called it a frog. Adam saw, actually it should be brown, Adam saw a small brown animal jumping down the road, so he called it a toad, right, a toad, Mr. Toad. Adam was startled by a long, thin animal when he picked up a rake, so he called it a snake. Snake, right, there's a colorful snake. Would you pick that thing up? Adam also named all the vegetables. So Adam saw a green vegetable, that he could, but he could not drive it like a Lamborghini, so he called it a zucchini. Zucchini, right, that's right. Adam accidentally squashed a yellow vegetable, so he called it a Squash, or he squished it, he squished it. He squished the squash. Adam saw a red juicy vegetable, but it was not a potato or a potato, so he called it a tomato. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> tomato. correct. Adam saw a fruit that was out of reach, so he called it a Peach, right, very good. Okay, so you'd all qualify to be Adam, right? So you could be Adam and have that job. Boy, that must have been some job for him, right? <laughs> Naming all those things. Adam was eating an orange fruit when God told him not to elope. So he called it a can't elope. That's right. <laughs> you cannot elope, right? Can't elope. Right. Adam was eating a green fruit when Eve gave him, a, gave him a long list of things to do. So he called it a honeydew. honeydew. That's right, that's right. And that's why you can't elope. Because if you elope, you will end up with a honeydew. <laughs> right? Honeydew this, and honeydew that, and honeydew this, right? So you don't want that. So that's why you can't elope. Okay, so just a little bit of fun there. All right, so back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. God said, See, I have engraven or given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. The Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. So God places us in the garden to tend it and to take care of it. So God has called us to enjoy the fruit of the land and to take care of it. Work is a good thing. God had Adam and Eve working before sin entered the world, right? People think that, uh, you know, heaven or their idea of nirvana or whatever, right, just is floating on a cloud doing absolutely nothing. But that's God's not original creation for us, original plan for us. But he called us to be active and to be serving and to be moving and to be um, functioning and to be productive and doing something. And so there's no retirement. Retirement's not mentioned in the Bible at all. Right? There's no retirement plan there on this earth. Right? There's an eternal retirement plan that's out of this world. But uh, as far as this earth, that doesn't mean you have to labor for some uh, horrible company for the rest of your life. But even in retirement or, or even on a vacation or our days off, uh, or time off, God has called us to labor in some way, shape, or form. And so it's good to be involved. And if we have extra time, uh, to be volunteering and active in helping in humanity in some way and, and, and some purpose and having purpose in, in our lives and, uh, and to be doing things around the house, uh, out in the garden, especially outside, it's very good. It's very good for our mental well-being, our physical well-being, fresh air, sunlight, being around nature. It's very healing to us, and that's how God created us to do that work. He could have made it so that everything just grew naturally and easy for us, but he called Adam and Eve to tend the garden and to keep the garden. And so in heaven, we will have labor to do as well. It'll be good labor. It'll be nice labor. Uh, we'll be toiling with thorns and thistles. 
uh, but God will have labor for us for eternity, and we should be laboring now as well. And God does not want us to be lazy. Right? Lazy is not a godly trait. Right? And so to be active and productive and taking care of the land and being fruitful in the land. And also spiritually, to be fruitful in God's kingdom and growing and encouraging one another and building one another up and letting God's spirit, the fruits of the spirit, be manifested through us and be active in serving the Lord and working for him and ministering for him and being a blessing. There's this one verse, 28, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this couple, uh, Glenn and Carol Elzinger, uh, friends of mine, went to uh, college with Glenn. He's a brilliant man, brilliant, total A student, brainiac, and his wife, Carol. And so they've had seven daughters, and, uh, and now they have currently one daughter, son-in-law. And so they are working on fulfilling God's plan here to, to be fruitful and fill the earth. Well, God has called us to do that as well, to procreate and uh, not just necessarily physically, but spiritually, and also only in the marriage relationship, of course, um, biblically, but uh, to procreate, to, uh, to create others, right? To win other people to heaven, to lead other people to know the Lord so that they can be one with him, so that they can be one with their brothers and sisters here on this earth, so that they can be active in service for the Lord, that they can care for God and for his creation as well. So God has called us to, uh, to minister to others and to win others to him, to make other people, bring other people to know him and love him as well. I think there'll be very few, if any, people who will be in heaven who enter alone. I think one of the requirements will be that you have to bring someone with you, uh, bring your buddy, uh, with you to enter the kingdom of heaven. The gate is going to be wide enough for two people to enter at the same time. And so God has called us to witness to other people, to let his light shine through us. Genesis 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God called us to live, and to live more abundantly, to have more abundant life. Yes. And sitting on a couch with a remote control is not life. <laughs> That's not living, you know, or in front of a computer uh, all day and night is not life. And virtual friends and virtual reality is not real life. God has called us to live life and live life to the fullest. And some of the things we've already covered by loving him, loving others, uh, being active and interacting with nature and going for walks and, and, uh, and tending and growing and talking to others and ministering to others and witnessing to others to live life for God, a new life, a recreated life with a new heart and a new mind that loves him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. That's what he's called us to do, to live life to the fullest. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God calls us to be obedient. God called Adam and Eve to be obedient in the very beginning, and I believe that God calls us to be obedient now as well. Contrary to what many people think about grace, that grace does not call for obedience, God does call for obedience. How many have ever heard an analogy, whether a sermon or article or something, where some writer or some preacher somewhere uh, used a story that they were going down the road, they were speeding down the road, and a police officer pulled them over for speeding, um, but did not give them a ticket, and thus they were shown grace. How many have ever heard some kind of a form of a story of that, right? Yeah, yeah, so good majority. That is the, probably the most opposite description of grace that I have ever heard. That is so wrong 
and so confusing to the biblical understanding of grace that it is pitiful, absolutely horrible, shameful, should be outlawed. <laughs> it is really a disgrace to grace. It has nothing to do with the biblical concept of grace. Right? In that story, the person driving the car, what were they doing? They were breaking the law. And what is the punishment for breaking the law, whether in driving down the road or God's law? What is the punishment? Well, death to God's law, right? For an accountability, right? There needs to be a punishment. I guess I gave that away with a question, right? There needs to be a punishment, right? To God's law or to man's law. But in that analogy, is there any punishment? No. No, none at all, right? So already it doesn't meet the biblical criteria at all. Now, if they want to get a little bit closer, if the police officer paid the ticket and had the points put onto their license or took the class, that would be a little bit closer to the gospel account. But even then, in that case, the driver would not have to pay anything. But when we break God's law, what in essence are we doing? What's that? Grieving, Grieving him? Is that the best you can do? Sinning. Sinning. Okay. What? Disobey. Disobey. What's that? Well, we think we're becoming God, right? We're trying to become God. Our own gods, right? That we know better, right? So in that sense, we know God, we know better, we're going to do it this way. But when we're disobeying, what are we doing? In real essence, what are we doing? We're being rebellious. Insulting him. Is that the best you can do? And we're just insulting God? Oh, oh, someone got it. Grieving? Killing him. We crucify him afresh. That's what we're doing. Let that sink in a little bit. Every time we sin, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so if God has not given us a spirit of fear, then where did fear come from? The devil. Have you ever been fearful? Have you ever been worried? Have you ever been anxious? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In one way, shape, or form. Been jealous. Been angry. Lacking of faith. Lacking of trust. Envious. Greedy. Selfish. Proud. We kill him. And so do we get off scot-free? No. What has to happen to us when we break God's law, when we kill God? Teshuvah, we have to... We have to die. We have to die to self. Now, he died the second death for us, so we don't have to die eternally, but a price still has to be paid by us now as well. We have to die to self. We have to die to that sin. Paul says he died daily. There needs to be a death in ourselves as well. Death to that selfishness, death to that carnal nature. Forsaking it, or putting it away. And so again, that police officer analogy, no one gets punished. There's no accountability to anyone. And that is not grace. That is, again, a disgrace. The Bible calls us to die to sin confess our sin, accept his forgiveness, accept his removal of that part of our character, being placed upon him, setting us free from it, and then allowing him to kill it and bury it away and remove it from us. And then allowing him to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we're then filled with his power and filled with his grace and his law written into our minds and hearts that brings us into obedience 
to him. That is the gospel. That is what true grace does. It changes us. And often in those articles or sermons with the analogy of the police officer, then the person says, oh, did I then go speeding down the road? No, 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 I was very careful as I went driving down the road. And even there, then that's just works. And fear. But biblically, the Holy Spirit comes into us and the Holy Spirit makes us obedient. So again, if you want to try and make an analogy with a police officer, then he has to get in your car and drive you safely the rest of the way home. <laughs> because that's what God does. God comes into us and then gives us the power to walk in his ways. But it's not us that's doing it. It's God doing it through us. And so God calls us to obedience here and now as well. Forgiveness for the past, cleansing from the past, all things made new, filled with the Holy Spirit, and to be able to walk in his power. Was it possible for Adam and Eve to not eat of that tree? Was it possible for them to be obedient? Yes. yes, they could have been. They could have chosen that. They didn't, unfortunately. And so by God's grace, by God's power, is his spirit strong enough? Is he willingly, willing enough to make us and empower us to be able to walk in his ways? what he says about his bride without spot without wrinkle without guile in her mouth that's what he calls us to be transformed and changed into and that is the purpose that he is building us up to to walk in his ways and that's part of being one with him as we become one with him he walks us in obedience with him Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So one of the things God called us to is to walk around naked. No. To be pure. To be pure in heart and mind. Right? And not be ashamed. Where did the shame come from? Well, I don't necessarily know if it comes from the devil. It comes from sin. Right. It comes from sin. Sin brings about, then I think it's conviction that brings about the shame. And then what goes along with shame? What is it? Guilt. guilt. Right. Shame and guilt. Right. And God's calls, caused, called us to be without shame, without guilt. Right. Not because of some cheap grace or some kind of imaginary story of grace that I can be disobedient to God and yet still be considered uh, pure before him but a gospel that's powerful enough to change this mind, change this heart, change this life, and to bring us and make us pure before him. Again, without spot, without wrinkle, before him. Purity that he has called us to. Purity in mind, heart, soul, every aspect of our lives to make us pure before him. That is a miracle of God. That is the real power of God. When we have this cheap understanding, well, then we just try and do a little bit better and try and, you know, be a little better than the person sitting next to us. But when our example is God, and the source of the power and the strength is God, he can do all things. Nothing is impossible for him to a soul that is fully, completely surrendered to him and dead in him. When we're surrendered and die in him, and he can recreate a whole new life in us. He can make us pure in our motives, in our actions, in our lives. And then we'll be able to love him and love our neighbor. Well, that comes as a result of loving him. Then we'll be able to love others purely. And they'll be able to see him in us and through us. And so as we look at this list and look at God's calling upon us, again, basically just out of chapters 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, of God's purpose of why you were created and what he wants to bring us back to. And so as we think on this list, if there's some area in your life where you're not one with God, there's some area where you're in opposition to him, some area that you're not walking, can two walk together unless they be agreed, unless you're, some area where you're not in agreement with him, some area where you're 
where your walk is not matching up with the scriptures. Some area of lack of faith or disobedience, lack of trust, lack of love. If you don't love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If you don't love spending time with him. If you don't love reading the Bible. If you don't love praying, talking with him, communing with him. If you don't love fellowshipping with others, praising him and worshiping him. Then a moment when we pray, you can confess that. Because all that reveals is that you're natural, you're, new, you're normal, <laughs> you're human. But we don't want to be human. We want to be partakers of the divine nature. We want to be transformed into his likeness. And so just confess that. And maybe at one time you loved him. Maybe at one time you rejoiced in his word. Maybe one time you loved praying. And then you've lost that first love and have drifted away. In a moment when we pray, you can confess that. Lord, I confess that I'm not one with you, not in sync with you. I don't love you. And accept his forgiveness. Lord, fill me with your love. Fill me with a love for you. Draw me to you. Make me at one with you. Two, if you're not at one with someone else on this earth. Yeshua said, if you're on your way to the temple and you remember that someone has something against you, you may not have anything against them, but they have something against you. Leave your gift, stop where you're going, and go and make it right with them first. All that is possible within us. And so if God is bringing something to your, someone to your mind, someone that has something against you, maybe falsely or for whatever reason, then the moment we pray, you can ask God to give you the grace and the strength and the words to go and try to reconcile. God has given us the gift of reconciliation. Or maybe there's someone that you have something against. Maybe there's someone currently or from your past and there's still something there, some kind of bitterness, some kind of hurt, some kind of pain, some kind of resistance too. If there's anyone, if you're standing there waiting for the elevator and the door opens and there's that person, if a smile wouldn't break out on your face and you couldn't just reach out your hand and say hi to them, uh, automatically, spontaneously, then when a mom moment when we pray, you can... Confess that to the Lord and ask God to give you love for that person. And if it's according to his will, do all in your power to work reconciliation. And not always, you know, under abusive situations, you don't want to put yourself under another opportunity to be abused again, but we still should have ability to forgive and love and leave them with the Lord. If you're not one with nature, if there's some area in your life where you're Abusing God's creation. Be nicer to your spouse's pet, right? <laughs> Somewhere that you're, uh, in nature. Somehow, God has called you. Maybe there's something he's bringing to your mind, right? Somehow you don't have to be as wasteful or somehow some way, shape, or form that we can do a better job of taking care of his planet. It's taking care of the land. If there's some area of work that God has called you to. Maybe in working in humanity and helping out in some way, shape, or form, maybe some secular way or some helpful way, uh, or maybe helping, helping your neighbor cut their lawn. Some neighbor cut my lawn this week. I was really, I don't know who. I wanted to, and the grass is cut. That was good. And so sometimes you can just do something, right? Spontaneous act of kindness, right? So uh, some laboring for him or working for him. Or ministry. God has given us each gifts and talents and abilities. And so what gift, what talent is God wanting to use you? Where can you serve in God's family? All of us should be active for him. No one. Godliness is not a spectator sport. 
Right? Living for God is active. All of us as a team together, playing different roles, not all doing the same thing, but all working together in our various different means and ways. And so what is God calling you to? Maybe there's some area. Maybe you're doing some things. Maybe you're three, four active, but God's giving you five talents. What's that other area that God's calling you to be active for him and serving him and working for him? To procreate. In your life, have you brought someone to the Lord? If you've never brought someone to the Lord yet, then a moment when we pray, you can ask God to open up an opportunity for you to share his love with them in a meaningful, impactful way that they come to the Lord. You say, Lord, give me somebody for your kingdom. Pray for that. Now, not everyone's a preacher, not everyone's a, give a Bible study, but everybody can do something. One-on-one -on -one conversation, God can use you. You might not have a personality to go up, are you saved, you know, type of thing, but God can open up a way that some friendship that you have or something. And if you don't know someone who doesn't know the Lord, you need to get out of your house and get out of the synagogue area and go find someone who doesn't know the Lord. Hey, we can just get so talking to ourselves, right? Go down the street and introduce yourself to your neighbors, right? Join some kind of group. Meet some people that don't know the Lord, right? Uh, so that you can share God's love with them in a meaningful way and win them for the kingdom of God. And so pray about that. Again, I think everybody, before we go to heaven, should have someone that they've brought to the Lord and to live, to live life to its fullest. If there's some area in your life that you're not living up to God's standard. If you're not in obedience to him. God's bringing to your mind some area that you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing or not doing something you know you should be doing. Again, confess that before him. Accept his forgiveness because of his death in our behalf and accept the Holy Spirit's power to bring us into harmony and obedience with him. And so if that applies to you, and to give you purity of heart. Maybe you're doing the right things, but not from the right motives. Ask God to give you pure heart, pure motives, pure attitude as you do those things. Are you a cheerful giver? Right? Are you a happy, joyful, rejoicing in the Lord? I think of this lady down in St. Pete, uh, Allah. What a godly lady. And she had cancer. She helped out in cleaning up from Chernobyl. And uh, her and her husband came down with cancer. She had cancer for a number of years, long years, and in pain, horrible pain for a long time. And yet I never saw her uh, complaining or about anything except her children. She complained about them. <laughs> just in prayer. Please pray for my children. But, you know, but uh, just always cheerful and happy. I remember visiting her even towards the, the end stages and just racked in pain and, and uh, went in to see her. She asked, how's Barbara doing, how's the family, and how's, and how's people in the congregation she didn't get to see, she couldn't get out. And uh, it was always about others, it was always, and just always cheerful, just always smiling, no matter how much, rejoicing in the Lord, in spite of our difficulties, in spite of our, and she was facing, you know, within days, death, rejoicing in the Lord. Live life full, and complete, and pure, in mind and heart in every aspect of our lives. Our dreams too, everything pure. God can make us pure before him. Pure and holy desires, pure and holy motives and actions to be pure before him by his grace. Totally cleansed, totally filled with his spirit. So if any of those things apply to you, in a moment, while we pray, as we prepare to pray, let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, thank you that you've come down here, right here in this building, right here, right next to each one of us. Thank you for loving us and seeing us and knowing each of us. Lord, we're sorry for hurting you. We're sorry for killing you. Sorry for drifting from oneness with you. 
Lord, bring us into yourself. Crucify us. Take out of our hearts and minds our heart of stone and our carnal, filthy, deceitful mind. And place it in Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, for burying it. Thank you for killing it. Come into us, Holy Spirit. Make us one with you. One with the God family, one with heaven. Lord, give us love for others. Give us your love. Give us your eyes to see people as you see them. Give us your heart to yearn for them as you do. Give us tender pity and kindness and mercy. Live in us and through us to uplift them and help them. Lord, speak through us, touch our tongues. Give us words to speak. Take full control of our hands and give us actions that manifest your love and labor for you and, and joyful work for you as your servants, as your stewards, taking care of our, the body temple and taking care of this earth. Forgive us for destroying even our body temple with the junk we put into ourselves. Cleanse us of that. Now we're destroying this planet. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, give us the power through your Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to your word, in harmony with you, with love for it, to love your law, and to delight in it, and to walk in it. Live in us and through us for your honor and for your glory. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.